This is the CMS Colloquium Podcast for October 15, 2009. I'm Andrew Whitaker, Communications Manager for the Comparative Media Studies Program at MIT. Today we feature Elisa Kreisinger. Elisa is a video remix artist, activist, and writer. In addition to teaching new media skills to teens in Cambridge, Massachusetts, she also co-edits the blog politicalremixvideo.com. We pick up this podcast with Comparative Media Studies graduate student, Flourish Klink. All right, so um, apparently for the benefit of the podcast, I'm supposed to mention that I am Flourish Klink and that I'm a second-year grad student here. Um, but, but the point is that I'm here to introduce Elisa, who is, uh, let's see, well, she's, she's an editor of politicalremixvideo.com, which is a blog with much exciting content. If you haven't been there, I highly recommend it. She also blogs at popculturepirate.com, and you can see her remix videos there, as I have not yet mentioned, but probably should have. She is also a remix artist. Um, uh, she attended Simmons College, yes, mm-hmm. uh, and worked on women's studies there, I think, mm-hmm. yes. And what else? Has traveled all yeah. of the continents, <laughs> and except Antarctica, because that one's hard to get to. Yeah. Anyway, without further ado, <laughs> here she is. Thanks. I don't need that. Okay, thanks. Um, all right. Um, well, thank you for coming. I know it's somewhat mandatory, but thank you anyway for coming. Um, so the song you heard coming in, as you can see, is um, Brother D, How Are We Gonna Make... Well, you would have noticed. Um, Brother D, How Are We Gonna Make the Black Nation Rise? I hope it comes back. But in the meantime, um, I want to take a poll just to get some concept of, of where you guys are at. Um, what stuff are you watching? What are you fans of? Um, what do you tune into weekly, if anything? Just call it out. Uh, on TV. <laughs> or, or online, or movies that you are a fan of. You watch TV. <laughs> um, I don't watch TV. Does anyone watch Mad Men? Yes. Yeah. yeah. OK, so Mad Men. Anything else? Uh, Glee. What? Glee. We? Glee. Glee. Oh, Glee. Big Bang Theory. Supernatural. <laughs> okay. Dollhouse. All right. So you think you can dance? Okay. <laughs> Monday Night Football. Monday Night Football. Oh, okay. Big Bang Theory. Um, Big Bang Theory. Thank you. Can I just do Big? <laughs> Colbert Report, anything else? Craig Ferguson. Guess, uh, I don't know. Uh, and then there was one more, uh, Colbert Report. All right, great. Okay, um, great, that's an exciting list. So. Uh, we're going to come back to that, but for now, I just want to talk about uh, a little bit of the roots of political remix or, or remix in general. Um, so when you came in, the song that uh, we were all having a dance party to before you guys 
came in, which is why it was so empty, was um, uh, Brother D, How Are We Going to Make the Next Black Nation Rise? Um, this is a great example of sampling. I don't know if you heard the loops, but um, it starts with Got to Be Real. Did anybody notice the loop track in there? And it has his original lyrics over that. Um, so it's, I started off with it because I think it's a great example of the roots of the remix genre. Um, and it really did pave the way for contemporary remix, video remix as we know it today. Um, so going back to the 1960s for a second, uh, DJs in Jamaica were actually layering tracks of ska, reggae, and to make something called dub, which is a remix of various uh, genres. Um, and their goal at the time was just to keep audiences on the dance floor happy, uh, happy dancing to reincarnations of songs that they already knew. So this was live action collage, kind of like DJ scratching as we know it today. But it was live action of audio tracks, and it was performed in clubs. Um, in the US, a few years later in the 70s, DJs were doing a similar technique in discos. So when Jamaicans immigrated to the Bronx, you had these two cultures uh, colliding and mixing. And you had the fusion was uh, hip hop. So um, we have this layering technique that's happening now in well, then, in the, uh, in the 70s in the Bronx. And then uh, that's basically audio tracks, so sampling, mixing, again, live action collage. Then in 1975, um, we have the addition of still images over audio. So uh, sorry about that. Um, so instead of layering tracks of audio on top of one another, we're laying still images on top of an audio track. And this is sort of practice known as vidding. Is anybody familiar with vidding or heard of it before? Yeah, a little bit? OK. So one aspect of vidding is that they use popular culture. So this was the first instance that this live action collage technique was matching still images and using popular culture images. So again, it was edited using a slide projector. So the, the user would click to edit the slides. And it was set to music, uh, a track that was usually played on a cassette player. Um, so I'm just going to show you a quick example. Uh, again, remember, now we're using pop culture images. So this is the first vid uh, performed live. It's a videotape of a live recording. And um, it was done by Candy Fong in 1975. Um, so I'm just going to show a piece of it, because it is a bit long. So here goes. And I spring castles in the air, and feather canyons everywhere, and the clouds that wave. But now they only block the sun, they rain and snow on everyone. So many things I would have done, but clouds got in my way. I've looked at clouds from my Still somehow, it's clouded. 
culture images in that, obviously. So they're relying on Star Trek. Um, and again, it's a live action layering collage technique. So fast forward two more years to 1978, and uh, Dara Birnbaum uh, has just created technology and transformation Wonder Woman. Has anybody seen this or heard of Dara Birnbaum? OK, she was a um, video artist, and she so this is my history of Remix. A lot of people have different histories, but to me, this is, this is sort of the, the narrative arc that goes through remix, contemporary Remix history. So um, where you have, in the beginning, with uh, DJs layering and mixing, vitters using popular culture, Dara Birnbaum goes one step further to make a sociopolitical or a cultural critique of those pop culture images. Um, she, use hip -hop, she uses hip-hop repetition technique um, pop culture imagery that the Vitters use. Um, and so her, well, I'll let you try and figure out what the cultural critique <coughs> is, but I think it's pretty obvious. Um, it's a bit dated, as it was made in 1978, but I'm only going to play a clip of it, so try and stick with it as long as you can.
Birnbaum's using repetition, um, but I think effectively mocking the source of Wonder Woman's supposed empowerment or 1970s version of women's empowerment, which was, uh, you can't really see in the spot that I paused on, but um, her, her source of empowerment was really her, sexual, her sexuality and her sexual identity. Um, I'm not sure how effective she could be in a cleavage-enhancing bodysuit and short shorts. Um, however, I do think the kitten heels were a nice addition because I think today she probably would have had these, um, which would have totally not been effective. But I think really her source of empowerment comes in, in the kitten heel. But aside from that, um, the technology and transformation Wonder Woman piece um, was the first time a political subversive message was inserted. So that is, um, so that's where we're at in 1978. Um, so you've got these three, these three movements happening, and I think that they've really paved the way for contemporary remix culture. Um, you've got hip hop vidding and video art. Um, they're all essentially a collage of images and sound, but I'm going to focus on political remix videos, which, in addition to being a collage, has a political message. Um, political remix videos, that political message, usually deconstructs dominant media messages and are critical of institutions such as race, gender, sexuality, um, or government policy. They also rely on rec recognizable forms to structure their subversive message. So whereas before uh, the video art was a non-narrative, right? There wasn't really a narrative structure to it, um, as well as the vidding. It, there was a narrative, but a much looser one. Um, political remix videos have a specific, a recognizable structure of dominant media, which is TV commercials, speech excerpts, nightly news, um, movie trailers. So I'm going to show an example of um, one of my favorites. This is made by um, a vidder named, I'm sorry, a remixer named Lion Spotter. And it is used to um, critique. Uh, films and Hollywood, it's, it uses documentary films and Hollywood blockbusters. Uh, it's really a critique of U.S. foreign policy. So let's just take a look. And what Malcolm X said when he got silenced by Elijah Muhammad was in fact true. America's chickens are coming home to roost. We took this country by terror away from the Sioux, the Apache, the Arawak, the Comanche, the Arapaho, the Navajo. Terrorism. We took Africans from their country to build our way of ease and kept them enslaved and living in fear. Terrorism. We bombed Grenada and killed innocent civilians, babies, non-military personnel. We bombed the black civilian community of Panama with stealth bombers and killed unarmed teenagers and toddlers, pregnant mothers and hard-working 
working fathers. We bombed Gaddafi's home and killed his child. Blessed are they who bash your children's head against the rock. We bombed Iraq. We killed unarmed civilians trying to make a living. We bombed a plant in Sudan to pay back for the attack on our embassy. Killed hundreds of hard-working people, mothers and fathers, who left home to go that day not knowing that they never get back home. We bombed Hiroshima. We bombed Nagasaki. And we nuked far more than the thousands in New York and the Pentagon. And we never batted an eye. Kids playing in the playground, mothers picking up children after school, civilians, not soldiers, people just trying to make it day by day. We have supported state terrorism against the Palestinians and black South Africans, and now we are indignant because the stuff we have done overseas is now brought right back into our own front yards. America's chickens are coming home to roost. So, uh, so I, this is one of the remixes I love because in a short period of time, two minutes, he was able to articulate a huge critique of US foreign policy going back to the beginning, really, of, of US foreign policy, um, which in two minutes, I think, is amazing. Um, and I think that Remix does have the ability to offer this thoughtful critique in a short amount of time um, using a visual language that we can all understand and relate to. So he could have wrote an essay or an op-ed piece for the New York Times, but using the footage that we see in, in movies and in TV shows um, makes his message more accessible to the general public. Um, and again, in two minutes, I think I think that's amazing. Um, all right, so uh, moving on with this concept of popular culture and recognizable footage, um, one reason that political remix videos rely on popular culture is because those texts are already embedded in our cultural consciousness. So we have emotional feeling towards images that we recognize in our everyday culture. Um, if we were to create original context and critique that, we would have to build up a meaning and a symbolism for that text in order to critique it. But by using popular culture, we can get right to that critique. Um, also, popular culture illustrates our cultural norms. Um, I don't know if anybody's traveled outside the US, but if you go to another country and you watch their media or you just watch TV or go see a movie in another country, you can really understand what their societal norms are just by watching their media. Um, we're, we may be a bit desensitized to it here because we see our own media every day. Um, but I think this next example um, is a great one in that it exposes our own, the institutionalized racism within our own media. Um, so this is an example uh, by Jackie Saloom. It's called Planet of the Arabs. Has anybody seen this? It's a really, it's a pretty popular remix. Okay. Um, so I'm just, again, going to show a piece of it. It's rather long.
today so if you do want to see the full thing check out my playlist it's uh, youtube.com slash Elisa Kreisinger um, I can write that out too um, but all of them will be there and you can also see it at pop culture pirate you can get there as well so if you want to watch the full thing um, feel free so um, I think using dominant media form so in the sense a movie trailer to make that socio-political critique of racist portrayal of Arabs and Muslims in media, I think that's a real, that makes a more powerful argument than uh, seeing each one individually. Um, if we were to watch each one in their original context, I, first of all, I've, I hate to say it, but I've never really noticed how racist these original texts were <clears throat> until they were all placed in a collage in one context together. So by remixing them together, we really can identify and see um, what our social norms are as a society. And that's only using, through pop, using popular culture. Um, so also in their original context, I think we tend to brush it off. Like, oh, it's just a movie. It doesn't mean anything. Um, it's not that racist. Uh, but here we can see when they're collaged all together, a deeper meaning in that. Um, all right, so I like to say that remixing popular culture is the sort of the spoonful of sugar that we need to make the socio-political critique go down. It makes things palatable. Um, for people who don't work in social justice or who um, aren't into organizing, I think remixing and remixes reach a broader audience who may not be thinking, oh, wow, you know, institutionalized racism in Hollywood? I never knew. Um, so, yeah, it makes like, the cultural critique palatable 
and accessible and, dare I say, fun um, in a form that we can relate to. So I'm not saying that the critique is fun, but I'm saying that it's more accessible and, and fun to, to watch something like this that we can relate to rather than read a book or write an article or read an article or a paper about it. Um, so that being said, I want to screen another one. Um, again, using pop culture as a resource. This time, um, Buffy vs. Twilight is a remix made by Jonathan McIntosh. Um, he's a great friend of mine, and also he co-edits politicalremixvideo.com with me. Um, so this remix was definitely inspired by the vidding traditions. Um, you'll notice it's Buffy vs. Edward, so it's Buffy and footage from Twilight remixed. Um, but the reason why I'm showing this is because I think it definitely illustrates an example of way remixes can visually articulate a socialization process. So, well, those are my words. His words are um, that it doubles as a metaphor for the ongoing battle between, the, between two opposing visions of gender roles in the 21st century. Um, I see it more as the articulation of the socialization of gender roles, like how we got there in the first place. So without further ado, let me, let me play it. Alone. No. Up to 
whatever it takes. I don't have the strength to stay away from you anymore. Well, he, he actually told you. He, he said, I love you. Well, I didn't let him get that far. Buffy, I'm really worried. These things can, can become pretty twisted. Stop trying to see me and stop calling me. where she's saying, you know, stalking isn't sexy are from early in the series where 
the guy who is sort of stalking her then ends up being her one true love. And like, you know, it's not, I mean, if you, if you know both source materials, it's like on the one hand it says one thing, but on the other hand, mm -hmm. Buffy also, like, I, it's partially a critique of Buffy, I thought, because like, Buffy's always getting herself tangled up with like these attractive and, you know, dangerous vampires who end up sometimes killing her friends. <laughs> I just, I guess, what I mean by subtle is that I, 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 to me, it's not very clear necessarily what the message is, and I don't know how much I'm expected to be familiar with both series, or you know, I guess there is sort of this question of, of how clear can one encode a political message in this right. kind of Yeah, and you bring up a great point because um, you sort of have to know both texts to understand it. Now, I have never seen Buffy nor Twilight, um, but because. Jonathan uses popular culture in this. I feel like, oh, okay, I've heard of Buffy. I've heard of Twilight. I kind of know what they're about. And he's got this description here. Okay, I can deduce it. Um, I mean, I've come up with my description because I, I've talked to him about it and, and watched it many times. But you bring up a really interesting context for people who, um, who people, when they don't know what the source footage is, how how relatable can the political message be? Um, I think that's a great point. And how one, crucial is this explicatory text there? What happens if this circulates outside of this page? Yeah, yeah. Uh, can you resignify? Can you deconstruct and resignify things in a community? Or how far? What am I trying to say? Um, can you make change by deconstructing things and resignifying them outside of your own little community? Yeah, I think that's a great question, and one I, I'm not sure. Um, but I do know that for fans who know of Buffy and Twilight, it was definitely a talking point. So really, um, and this brings me to my later point, but I'm not sure the goal is to create actual direct action change, but to get people talking about, or start a discussion about both contexts and um, and the relationship between and gender roles portrayed in these mainstream media texts. Um, but yeah, you bring up a, a great point. Um, okay, so I do want to talk about permission because one thing um, with political remix videos is that they don't ask for permission from copyright holders, which makes them very hard to distribute. Um, You'll see I streamed most of them from YouTube, but in January 2009, there was a YouTube massacre. Is anyone familiar with the YouTube massacre? Yeah? Okay. All right. Great. Um, so I won't go into it, but after January 2009, a lot of vids, a lot of political remix videos were removed and taken down because of copyright infringement. Um, I say it with quotes because the robots patrolling YouTube for copyrighted content couldn't discern whether it was a fair use of that copyrighted content or whether it was just full seasons of Buffy or Twilight. Um, so when you went through YouTube looking for a video like or, or a remix like I was when I took this screenshot, this is what you saw. Um, this video is no longer available due to copyright claim by a third party. Then there was this video is no longer available due to a copyright claim by Paramount. And then this is my most recent acquisition. And um, I, I love this one because here we were like, we we're like, oh, it's just a black screen, right? We'll just put it up there. But here, 
That's prime advertising space, right? Like, why shouldn't we see Sauce? Um, and, and now you've got the, the pink line of death, which is this video is not available in your country due to copyright restrictions. So the playing field isn't even level anymore, um, which I find really interesting. So now the copyright restrictions are, are where you are, where I guess your account is, where you've registered your account in the world. So I guess if we were in Sweden, I could see this remix. Um, but I'm not, so I couldn't see it. Um, so because video remixes don't rely on permission to use the content, they're at high risk to be taken down from YouTube. And there's a specific reason why we don't ask for permission. Um, one is, I, I'm not sure we would actually get permission, um, because who wants their content critiqued and, and a political, um, political message placed onto it? Um, uh, the other reason we don't ask for permission is because to wait around for permission to be granted, who knows how long that would take. And the window of opportunity for creating a discussion around these pop culture texts is short. Um, popular culture texts, movies, TV shows only last within our cultural consciousness for a certain period of time before we're on to the next thing. So if we were waiting around for permission, we'd, we'd miss that brief window of opportunity for, for discussion around it. Um, so because we don't ask for permission, um, there is a collection of articulate and well-crafted remixes that are offering a valuable culture critique, but they're not allowed to reach their audience or they're being silenced because of um, copyright infringement, quote unquote copyright infringement. And, um, and this makes distribution difficult. Um, the January 2009 massacre hit political remix artists and vitters the hardest um, because, like I said, there was no way to, to figure out if the use of copyrighted material was a fair use or not. Um, vitters got hit particularly hard because after they got kicked off of YouTube, they rebuilt a community on iMeme. And then in June 2009, iMeme eliminated all user-generated genera video, which meant that hits, links, um, ratings, comments were all disabled. And this caused havoc all over the internet. Um, people who had linked to vids or who had commented on or even just hit counts were just gone. And vidders had really spent time establishing their community of fans and building a community of fans on iMeme. Um, and so when we went to go post videos, um, I'm sorry, when we went to go look for what videos had been removed on politicalremixvideo.com, we couldn't find a lot of them for about a month. And then we slowly began to find them on other sites. But for a lot of them, they, we just issued this statement which said, I mean, removed all its user-generated content. They cited no return on investment, meaning they weren't getting anything back from posting these videos on their site. Um, and we said, that's bullshit. Like, you can't, you shouldn't do that to a whole community of people who have no, who built an amazing community of valuable cultural critiques and now have no place to show them. Um, so our links were disabled. Um, we left our comments there and our context that, um, that we wrote, but unfortunately we couldn't, 
can watch the videos. So, all right, so one site during all of this was YouTube out of MIT. Who knows YouTube? <laughs> all right, yeah, so this is a, an amazing site. <clears throat> and you could really get a sense of what that January 2009 massacre was by looking at these video scans. I mean, just the number of videos that get taken down normally, as opposed to during this massacre, is a huge number. I don't know why it's not moving. Usually it moves and updates, but. Um, so some of them, some of them may very well be copyright infringement. I'm not saying that everybody who puts stuff on YouTube is a political remixer trying to create transformative works to benefit the cultural discourse. By no means. Um, if you look through, some of them probably are blatant copyright violations. Um, like Natalie and Brulia, Torn, for example. Um, but some of them, some of them could offer really valuable critiques and, and opinions and thoughts to this discourse of cultural critique, which is a shame because they're being silenced, right? Like we can't hear them, we can't access them. And, um, and it's all because <clears throat> YouTube can't decipher between an illegal use of copyrighted material and a fair use one. So back to fair use. Um, uh, political remix videos are highly eligible to be a fair use of copyrighted content, and that's because they transform the copyrighted material. So because we're making a political comment, critique, or satiring the original content, um, it's totally legal for us to use that copyrighted content. Um, this is safeguarded under freedom of speech, and um, anybody has fair use, even if you're not making a video. It's still fair use to comment on, critique, or make a parody of copyrighted content. Um, but it's the video maker's job to know their rights before they distribute their work. If it's just living on your hard drive at home, like that's fine. But once you put it in the public discursive space, you really do have to be careful on, and know and understand what your rights are for using that material. Um, for more on this, I would definitely see American University's uh, Code for Best Practices and online video. And I believe I have that. Um, they offer a great discussion on what fair use is and also make it accessible for video creators, artists, documentarians to understand fair use in a um, easy to understand way. They have gone through the documents and they make it understandable. Um, so, so that's a great help for remixers, but also anybody using video content or making videos. Um, okay, so there's also chilling effects. Has anybody heard of chilling effects? No? Okay. Um, well, chilling effects is where you go if you think your material is fair use. So you've made a remix or a vid, you've tried to distribute it, you've gotten a takedown notice, but you still think that your work is fair use, chilling effects is the supportive end of that. So they're sort of a legal aid side. Um, they help you navigate cease and desist notices and will try and, and tell you in their best judgment you know, what your next step should be in order to get your work out there um, into the public space. Um, 
So I want to take a step back from video remixing and just focus on fair use for one second. Um, did anybody hear about the Boing Boing episode with, you did. Okay, so do you want to like say what happened real quick? Right. Right. That's a, wow. That was very accurate. Um, yes, that's exactly what happened. Um, here is, so Boing Boing came to Chilling Effects and, and submitted the cease and desist letter that they got from Ralph Lauren's lawyers. Um, you'll see DMCA infringement notice as Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Um, basically, it states that um, you can't reproduce that picture of that ad without Ralph Lauren saying it's okay, um, without permission of Ralph Lauren. So um, I just want to play a piece of that discussion. So the Boing Boing, uh, this was Boing Boing on Rachel Maddow, um, and I think she sums it up pretty well, the fair use end of it. Let's see. So just to give you an idea of how pervasive um, incorrect use of copyright law is. DMCA, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, basically is something that can be misused by companies uh, to silence free speech. Basically, they came after us and said, we claim copyright over this ad. Our lawyers helped us understand that that was bogus and that this was classic fair use. If you are criticizing or parodying something, you have a right to do that. Because our internet service provider was in Canada, they don't have to abide by the DMCA. We didn't have to take it down. The blog that we originally found this on, Photoshop Disasters, uh, they're Blogspot blogs, so that's Google, and uh, it just it came down instantly, as it would with like YouTube or something. And so, I mean, that's that's the deeper part of this story. I mean, there's the body image Photoshopping shrinky dick side of it, but the other side of it is intimidation because it is, it does yeah. seem to be a plain fair use claim, but you say that because of the DMCA, right. what's happening is that ISPs just immediately cave whenever they're confronted by anything like this, and it sort of hurts the First Amendment. First, they came for the supermodels, and I didn't care okay. because I wasn't a supermodel. No, seriously, I mean, imagine if somebody um, recorded, say, a political video, or there was oh, a, a document, a whistleblower document that was scanned and posted online on, on a Blogspot blog. Uh, so the way that many of these free hosting services would react is to immediately take it down, no questions asked. Well, in this case, uh, we had the luxury of asking questions and, and fighting it with uh, help from chillingeffects.org and our great lawyers at MSNK, uh, but not everybody has those kinds of uh, weapons in their arsenal. Would you encourage other ISPs, other people who host blogs that have faced threatening letters like this, even when they seem to be bogus, based on bogus legal claims, would you encourage them to fight them? 
You know, I would. I would also uh, encourage people to consider, the, you know, hosting your blog offshore if you're planning on getting into uh, in, into controversial material. Uh, it's, it, it, you know, this is a funny story because we're talking about a, a silly-looking model in a denim jeans ad. But what if we were talking about something that mattered more? The internet isn't automatically uh, a safe haven for free speech. And, and it is, there is something sort of serious about an already really skinny model made to look like an alien <laughs> in order to be small enough to fit into a magazine, but to write them the free speech issues are bigger. Okay. Um, so that's just to give you a concept of this issue outside of the political remix world and just in the world of internet and blogging, um, a world which we all exist and communicate in and participate in. Um, usually on a daily basis. So, um, so if these political remix videos and vids aren't on YouTube, they're not in the public discursive space, so that means that um, they can't really get proper attribution, and nor can their meticulously crafted and often subversive messages um, be heard or be passed along. So that is, that's one of the problems with um, or an, a problem that comes out of the fair use rem YouTube removal issue. Um, but on the other side is that this uh, political remix videos and vids are now absent from the canon. So we have sites like this article. Um, this is an AP article in the San Francisco Chronicle says, in saying that since the dawn of YouTube, fans have been melding their own amateur video with the music of their favorite bands. Okay, so that's not right. Um, but without videos on YouTube to prove him wrong, how can we prove him wrong? Um, how can he get accurate information to know that he's an AP journalist and he's wrong? Um, so, so that's one problem. Um, the next is, so that's just an online article, but in Less Eggs, um, ha has anybody read Remix, the book on Remix, Making Art Thrive in a Hybrid Economy by Lawrence Lessig? Well, it's a seminal Remix text, and he fails to note in the actual body of the text, I don't know if you can see that better, but he fails to note that, um, <laughs> If she doesn't say it, I don't look at the clock. So, um, so he fails to note in the actual body of the text the history of, of vidding cultures that came before Remix. So what led the way to our, now, our, our concept of contemporary Remix culture now? He only mentions that in a side note, I'm sorry, in a footnote in chapter four. Um, however, unlike the AP artist, he does at least acknowledge that, acknowledge that before the internet, there was, there was life before the internet. So he says, um, this is not to say that before the internet, there was nothing like this read-write media culture. Indeed, for almost half a century, beginning with the Star Trek series, there has been a rich fan fiction culture in which fans take popular culture and remix it. Especially funny because it didn't actually start with Star Trek. <laughs> okay, so what... Fan what, from Okay. Was the fan before Star Trek. You heard it here. <laughs> Um, so you can see that if these pieces aren't in popular, or aren't even in a public discursive space, there's no way for us to get the history correct. And I think that's an important part of remix culture. 
um, getting the history right, or just knowing where it came from and the influences. All right, so um, bringing it back to contemporary vitting, um, I just want to um, illustrate sorry, how the lines of contemporary vitting and political remix videos are blurring. Um, like I said, now political remix videos are relying a lot more on pop culture text because it makes their subversive message more, or one would hope, more accessible to the general public. Um, so this is, uh, this woman considers herself a vitter. It's made by Sloan. This was the first vid she's ever made. Again, it's a Star Trek vid. Um, but her quote is that when she saw the Star Trek movie, she was disappointed that J.J. Abrams had dramatically rewritten so many elements of the Star Trek canon. He had largely ignored women, and I was surprised at how many people didn't seem to think this was a problem or that the issue even existed. So that was too many dicks. Um, what did you think of that one? Better reading? Could you understand the message? <laughs> okay. All right. Good. Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. Great. Um, well, one thing I love about this remix is that the original song is from Flight of the Concords. Any, has anybody seen it or watched it? All right. If you listen to the lyrics. It's really fucked up. <laughs> like, it's really misogynistic. This guy is going to a party. There's too many men, and he can't find a woman to, it's implied, I think, to get drunk and take home. Which, um, uh, why? I, I think it's kind of a little misogynistic, um, so I'll leave it at that. But, but taken out of context and re-signified and put to clips of the new Star Trek movie, She's reclaiming the song and making it, taking it out of that patriarchal context and putting it more in a pro-feminist context. Um, so I love, I love that. That's one of my favorite remixes. Also, it was done using, um, it was shot in a movie theater. So the movie wasn't out yet. So all of this editing was done before the movie had even come out yet. So I should also mention that. Um, it makes a good argument for why remixers and bidders should have access 
to, to footage before it even comes out in theaters so that we can remix it so that by the time the movie does go out in, th go out in theaters, we have something already up critiquing it. So um, I, think, I think this makes an excellent example of that. Um, all right, so while fitting and remixing, the lines are blurring between the two. Um, I, myself, as a remixer, have been really influenced by the vitting history um, of women uh, vitting and continuing this narrative thread beyond what, what exists in the original context and extending that thread to making something new and different, transforming it in some way, making a critique of it. Um, I I'm heavily influenced by that. Um, so I've just created a new piece, um, and I hope this may be somewhat more relatable to you, sir. Um, I, I have a feeling maybe not, but it's Sex in the City. Uh, it's a Sex in the City remix. So what I've done is um, taken out the, well, what have I done? Uh, I finished it last night. So, um, so it re-envisions the women of Sex in the City. Um, their satisfaction no longer remains an unquestioned desire to follow conventional heteronormative expectations of them. And my point is that at its core, I think the story was more about people finding love and acceptance. That's neither straight or gay, but it's just human. So I'm trying to bring it back out of that chick flick context and bring it back to a more gender neutral context. But by making it queer. So this is an example of a queering. Um, and I'll show all of it. It's five minutes long, so. Whoops. Just tell me I'm the one. And I don't, I don't have to tell your mother or the whole world. Just, just tell me. I stayed up all night questioning my faith in faith. Faith that all the withholding would stop. Faith that he'd say, I love you. There are thousands, maybe tens of thousands of women like this in the city. We all know them, and we all agree they're great. And they're alone. I'm so excited. Oh, sit down. I'm a huge fan of your work. Good taste and beautiful. Could it get worse? Oh, I never knew you were interested in writing children's books. Well, uh, it's a children's book for adults. I love it. I thought you might. <laughs> this could be great. She was smart, beautiful, and she got me. So what's the big deal? It's just a fling. It's not like we're throwing out our schedules or anything. Oh, sweetie, I gotta go. Yeah? I'm here for a meeting with my editor. Bye! Bye! Hi. Thanks for meeting me. Oh, thanks for inviting me. Wow, you changed your hair. Oh. Well, thanks. <laughs> At the risk of sounding like a groupie, are you seeing anyone? How sweet. Let me show you how it's really done. It's no one special. You're surprised by this. I can't just ignore it, can I? Yeah. No! What's the big deal? Who cares? Men are going to be obsolete anyway. I mean, already you can't talk to them. You don't need them to have kids with you. You don't even need them to 
have sex with anymore as I'm just very pleasant at discovery. Was Miranda right? I needed some answers. You know, I'm beginning to think the only place where one can still find love and romance in New York is the gay community. It's straight love that's become positive. Meanwhile, across town, Miranda had given this topic some thought. As the only single lawyer working at her law firm, Miranda had agreed to be fixed up on the blind date. Miranda? This is Sid. Sid? Miranda. Look at you two. Perfect match. <laughs> well, I'm going to uh, excuse myself. Me too. Miranda and Sid's last inning double play got the attention of everyone, even the firm's senior partner. That was quite a play, ladies. <laughs> Listen, uh, my wife and I are having a little dinner party on the 12th. Uh, just some couples, nothing fancy. We'd love it if you both could make it. We'd love to. You seem so relieved to have finally figured me out. After Miranda left, I had a thought. Maybe it's about fear. Fear of the unknown. When life gets this confusing, sometimes there's only one thing to do. Attend a fabulous party. Hi! Isn't this fun? It's like hell with cover charge. I needed to escape. The party had turned into a preview. A preview of a life I didn't know if I was ready for. And then, keep a tap on. Oh, sure. Of course. My desire overcame my fear. Thanks a lot. I've never been with a man, you know, and he's like, he's doing everything, and, and it feels good, but sometimes you, you just can't manage to um, come. Just make sure that the other woman isn't a friend. Use somebody random, you know, somebody you meet in a bar or something. That's romantic. No. I think that I feel safer with a friend, with someone I could trust. Like Karen. Oh, gee, I'm flattered. But, um, I felt with someone who has a little more experience, like Sam. Well, thanks, but there is something sexy about a first-timer like Charlotte. Really? Listen, have a good time and promise to tell me everything. Yeah, you're lucky. Bye. All right, bye. That Charlotte did the unthinkable. A couple of blocks and way too much money later, I realized I had just entered an interesting chapter in my life. We're all basically the same, but somehow we wound up on different sides. Later that week, I realized I was happily dating another woman like it was the most natural thing in the world. Okay. Alright, so, thoughts? See, even feedback. Um, was it any more clear? Does, is anybody familiar with the text, first of all? Somewhat? Not really? Yeah? 
So, <laughs> okay. Um, was it? Uh, let's see. Let's get out of here. Um, it seems to me one of the ways we might be able to move, maybe you can finish your the things you want to say, and then it, I'm sure one of the things that's coming up in other people's minds too, and certainly mine is, and gets to this question of subtlety or does it come across? Mm -hmm. Is sort of what are what exactly are the politics of remixing? Right. I mean, you've given us a lot of examples here, and I think they often work a little bit differently. And I know remixing is something that a lot of us have thought about mm -hmm. uh, in various ways. So maybe maybe that's a way to proceed okay. discussions. And maybe give your last examples, and we can open it up yeah. for a, a broader discussion. Well, my last, my last question is um, just posing, can remixes actually affect any change? So you brought up a great question earlier. If you don't know the text, how can you really get the subversive or the subtleties of the message? Um, so that is a continuing battle in academia, right? Like, can you deconstruct something, build it back up again, and resignify something? And can that have any meaning for people outside of the community who know what the hell you're talking about? Um, so that is, you know, an ongoing struggle outside of Remix. But um, yeah, that's. Um, I was just gonna leave it at that. With can remixes actually affect change? I can give you my own opinion. If you want, yeah? Um, oh. Sure, why don't you start us off? Okay. Well, I think, um, in my opinion, that uh, remixes aren't supposed to be a direct action where we make a remix and we see an immediate reaction from copyright holders, Paramount, um, YouTube, even. Really, it's just keeping culture, keeping society thinking critically. Um, it's a way to interact with popular culture texts. It's a way to go from a passive consumer of media to an active participant of one. Um, so that's what I, that's where I think the politics are. Um, and I think what, I, that is how I think remixes can affect actual change. Um, so that's my thoughts, but um, what was your question? And, and we can open up for other questions also. Oh, thank you. Well, I think it would, be, it would be fun. I mean, a lot of us have dealt with these issues, I'm sure. Yeah, let, let's put this sort of in the middle, and maybe we can have a more open-ended discussion. I think that's... I know, but it's, it's so clumsy that way. Uh, can you hear anything if we put it in the middle, or no? You can't hear anything from the microphone? Yeah, okay. Let's, let's try that and maybe we can have some more crosstalk than this back and forth. I, I think that would be fun uh, if we could try that. We'll sort of put it in here-ish. Um, and, and I know, very interesting talk, thank you. Uh, and uh, it, it raises lots of issues. I like your examples are wonderful uh, and, and, and raise a lot of different questions, but I also, but I do know that other people in this room work and think about remix and the politics of remix. Um, and I guess it would, I'd be curious to hear how else the politics of remix work, or and, and specifically in terms of people's own interests and work. Uh, Flourish, I know you're working on this, so I put you on the spot as the, uh, <laughs> the introducer. Uh, maybe you could start us off. Okay, well, I'm We're talking a little bit about 
remix and your, your view of politics remix? One, I mean, one question that I did have, I really appreciate that you highlighted how little attention is paid to bidding in sort of, you know, most of the mainstream uh, discussions of remix. But I was actually surprised to see, I mean, I know you were talking about how you were inspired by bidding, but you were talking about how some relatively late vids were the, were the first instances of having a political message. And, and to use the very most obvious low-hanging fruit example, Kirk spot vids. You know, I mean, early early stuff like that. It, you might, they don't call it a queering of the text. Right. And it's not necessarily actually intended as a queering. Some of it, you know, there's been a lot of debate about, you know, what is slash and so on. But, um, but it was just sort of interesting to me. It's interesting to me to think about, like, when is it a queering of the, t like, when is a video a queering of the text? And when is it, a fan did, you know, like, like, you watched a lot of Sex in the City to produce that and presumably have a, an effective attachment to it. Actually, you know? no, I don't. Okay. <laughs> I, I never, I've never seen any of it. I queered it because I, well, first of all, um, I'm getting ready for the movie to come out, so I'm starting, <laughs> okay. I'm starting with season one. Right. So that's season one of six. Um, I was trying to think of the, the, one of the most, um, targeted texts mm -hmm. for women and what do women watch and what do women relate to um, and and I thought of Sex in the City because I think it's a perfect example of women's dissatisfaction with the male-female relationships and they're constantly talking about dissatisfaction but yet they never do anything about it um, I thought it was a good analogy for remixing um, so, so then maybe is, is, it, is it like an entirely motivational question of like, is this a vid or is this a political remix? Is it just about like the context in which they're produced? Oh, for me it's a remix. No, I know that that's oh. a remix for you. I was just saying like, is that what the demarcation is? Like, when is it a vid and when oh, is it a yeah, remix? Yeah. Is it just purely the context in which they're produced? I think it's whatever the author uh -huh. identifies with. I mean, if they're, um, I sometimes use them interchangeably. That probably is incorrect. We post them on Political Remix video site right. because we are trying to honor the history of vidding and where the remix roots have stem, where the where remix stems from. Um, but I think a remix is if if you're a re if you identify as a remixer, yeah, then it's a remix. If you're a vidder, I think really the the line of demarcation for me is the community. Remixers, I don't think have such a supportive community as fan vidders and fans do. Um, so. um, I have a question. I want you to introduce yourself. Oh, yeah, I'm Nick Siever and I'm a grad student in CMS. Um, you mentioned in the beginning of your talk, you said you mentioned the remix genre. And yeah. we've been talking, I guess, a little bit now also about like history making, sort of. So a lot of the stuff, that, the examples you showed are ways of sort of looking at media content from a different perspective to sort of re uh, reimagine what these historical examples are actually telling us. Like the one that sticks out in my head is the thing from Back to the Future with the Libyans are coming, mm -hmm. which means something clearly different in the context of when that video of when that movie came out and what the video was mm -hmm. meant in the context of that, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to now where right. the video means something else. Um, but I'm but I'm thinking in terms of that history making, but also the history that you gave at the beginning of the talk and the kind of history you're trying to construct with political remakes. I'm curious what you think about this process of projecting backwards from remixing now, and one, identifying remix as a genre unto itself, and two, calling out particular things like dub or uh -huh. disco and certain things as right. like, historical. 
historical precursors. Well, and can we, can we start that? Can you, what, you have you have an opinion. <laughs> let's, uh, what's your yeah. opinion? Let's uh, get all these. Well, uh, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, what do you think? Right. I. It was one of the things I raised my eyebrows about too. I was thinking, well, you know, these genres in some ways are important, right? Yeah, and but the, the hip hop and the, but they, yeah. but is there yes, there's a common history, but people distinguish I mean, among them yeah. for I mean, some valid reasons. There are things that are they have in common for sure. Yeah. And the one thing that I sort of maybe didn't agree with you about when you talked about the Wonder Woman video, mm -hmm. that sort of hip hop like repetition. I'm not sure. No, no, I don't think it's hip hop like. Well, they're, but, but the of, use of repetition. Yeah, yeah. So I, mm -hmm. there are these things that are they have they share in common, but yeah. I wouldn't say necessarily they, right. that means that they share yeah. a history or even that they share um, motivation. With yeah. Other, because you mentioned also a lot of these people with their first remix video, and and I'm I mean it's hard to know just from my perspective because right. I'm not involved in a lot of this whether these people who make their first remix video make it after seeing a community and. Trying to get involved in that community. Yeah, we're about voting text in writing. Right, you know, yeah. is that not <laughs> or they may have this sampling on their computer mm -hmm. and there's a certain sense where like I could decide to mush videos together from not seeing myself sure. joining the community, but from seeing myself as a person who has particular tools and you know and goals that maybe are not part of the genre. Mm -hmm. But yes, yeah, so I'm curious about what you have to say though about the genre and history. Yes, I just want yeah. to make sure I'm understanding this. So part of the question is that, you know, are, are genres important in some ways, and is there some danger in flattening the politics by calling it remix culture, you know, as a sort of overarching thing? Well, but there is a remix culture. I mean, like, there's definitely okay. a remix culture, and Lawrence Lessig is part of it, and it's different, I think, and I think that's really valid to say that it's different from, like, bidding as a okay. culture. I mean, actually, that's that's. Is it what's new know. then? How do we know it's remix culture? I guess because yeah. because it, it came up and we <laughs> yeah. do this too. We say yeah. the first hip hop sample ever, right? Right. And I think do that, that I, game, and I but, think that's troubling to say right. that this is the first because how how the hell do you know? Like, but, give me a break. Okay, but also, but naming does the same thing, right? To say, oh, it's not bidding, it's remix culture, right? Implies that there's a break, right? It implies that there's yep. a boundary, there's something that happened. Well, there's some things that I think you can say about that, though, because, okay. I mean, like, bidding, I mean, you can say that that was the first fan bid shown at a fan convention ever, because we okay. know that. Like, okay. that's actually the first fan bid that was ever shown at a fan convention. Uh -huh. And you can say that there are people who like come to remixing and have never been a part of the fan culture that Vidding, I mean like Vidding is, I mean the fact that we have the very first thing that was shown at a fan convention ever, that's a pretty well, like, I mean, right. I, can we sure. like list the first, so you know, the first dub song, you know, I don't know yeah. if we can, but uh -huh. like, but we can say that this is a person who's remixing and is not, maybe has, and, and we know never attended a fan convention, which until very recently, until YouTube was the only way you would ever get to see a vid, right. a fan vid, you know, like, so you can actually make, some but I would say folk there. music, for example, always sampled and remixed, right? It was always mm -hmm. a question of whether yeah. there could be core ideas that then people would rework and take some some words, some language, you know, the hundreds of versions of this or that song, you know, was a kind of remixing, it seems to yes. me. But it, what, it wouldn't be called remix culture, and I guess that's what I'm curious. Like, what, what's that difference? Like, how would I know, oh, that's, that's when it happened or around when it happened? Yeah. Wayne, you should introduce yourself. Too. Um, I'm Wayne Martin. Well, yeah, at least you get a response from that, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Melon Fellow here in, in Foreign Languages and Literatures, and I've worked on hip hop and, and reggae and digital culture more broadly. I mean, I think that when people start to talk about remix culture, we, 
we, we run the risk of making nothing if we want. I mean, it's it's valuable to connect remiss practices to textual citation and, and, and bricolage of all kinds of things, but um, I think we run the risk of losing all meaning right. if, if we use it right. in this very broad way. Yeah. I mean, you mobilize a very particular genealogy of, of video, uh, you know, I want to say remixing, but video manipulation in order to, to, to trace this kind of political history. It seems to me that when we say remix, we're oftentimes referring to mechanical reproduction, or really now digital reproduction, right? And so there is a way in which we're calling attention to a sort of Called, like historical te technological shift mm -hmm. that undergoes that, that happens there, and one that perhaps and, and I don't know I mean I'd be curious to know your thoughts on that one that also maybe traces a shift from it being a sort of niche subcultural avant-garde practice mm -hmm. to a much more diffused mm -hmm. popular practice such that now it's on YouTube and plenty probably the majority of people making political or making remix yeah. videos in general don't necessarily know about these other genealogies, but they see it as, as, as cultural practice more broadly in the way that Lessig mm -hmm. understands it, and himself wants to mobilize it yeah. toward making an argument about, you know, hybridizing the, the commercial and the non-commercial. Yeah. yeah, and I want to add to that. Please introduce yourself to um, And then later you wrote, people call me Adam. This is in tackles the problem. There's something called um, archival physics, uh, uh, and then the, 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 uh, the genre of montage within the discourse of anthropology and filmmaking. And particularly, I remember Catherine Russell uh, wrote, 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 some, wrote a book that contained a lot of you know, discussions around this area. Um, and more in particular, she talked about the politicization of montage and, and the use of archival footage in black British culture. Uh, the way that they created narratives of police discrimination, the narrative and the history of, of being of blackness in Britain, you know, uh, using uh, you know, footage from different historical moments. Uh, and this was happening in the 70s, mm -hmm. you know, and the 80s. And so um, thinking, thinking about this notion of, you know, creating the idea of genres, I think we run into a problem when there are so many other practices that mm -hmm. And I think that there's a big question about like when people get the ability to do things and it, and it springs up in multiple places at once. Because it sounds like that's happening at about the same time that you start getting the first fan bidding happening. It's about the same time that you start getting fine artists, probably. I mean, I'm guessing that the, was the Wonder Woman piece a fine art piece intended? Mm -hmm. Well, that it was a, yeah, a visual art piece. Yeah, so. I mean, you know, but I mean, it's a thing that could be displayed in a museum in a right. way that the Kirk Spock piece was not going to be. And then similarly, when we get to the later moment with YouTube coming about, that's when you have fan bidding sees a resurgence because suddenly you don't have to go to a conference. And also, you know, you, you start, I, I would imagine that there's other, you know, I mean, like, you can see art footage like that outside of a museum. You can have, like, remix of the way Lawrence Lessig means it coming about. Like, in what, like, how are these things connected and, and how much is it individually just springing up based on the sudden ability to do it? I think it's a really hard thing to try and detangle, especially when we're trying to define genres. So. <laughs> oh, it's good. And, and, you know, I start to wonder, you know, is it that remix is something that's well known enough to be recognized that it's a remix? Right? If you didn't recognize that it was a remix, would it still be a remix or is that just editing it? 
Uh, you, you know, I, I don't know. I, I guess it gets back to that question of, of context. I think it's an interesting point too that when then we see Back to the Future today, we're not thinking Libya and Gaddafi. We're thinking uh, the newer, or, or, we, or we're not, or some are, some aren't. You know, and I guess that's that question of sort of. It, it gets back. I'm sort of curious how the politics of it work too, which is certainly a theme of your talk. I mean, what. What, what is it, then, that gives it that change? I mean, I think we're all on the same page. We say, yeah, more fair use, yes. Right, right, right. We don't list the Paramount pictures. We all agree with that. Uh, and I think a lot of us are doing the best we can to ignore uh, those rules, right? Uh, so, so that's OK. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of easy, too, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and we've been doing that since we were handing around cassette tapes and, and the rest. And you know, before, I'm sure, handing around books, for that matter, tape books. So that you know, the so then how do the politics go beyond that um, becomes an interesting question. And you, said, you made the point that it, because it's fun, it can have more power. Some or people might argue that it makes politics nothing more than having fun. And there's nothing wrong with having fun, but really, how political is that? Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, one thing. Question. I don't have a good answer. I like fun, too. And I right. like to say it's political, but I, I sometimes wonder. Well, I think one thing, I mean, I in no way think that remix or appropriation started in 1960 in Jamaica. You know, like, I, yeah, I don't no, think that that's where it's going. We're not using that. That's okay. Right, right. So, I, um, I, I guess, I mean, remix fits into a broader, I think, culture of appropriation, which okay. is not a genre. It's a method of production. Um, I pulled up a list of artists. These are visual artists um, who have used appropriation before, but th this list is not definitive by any means either. Um, I, I don't. I don't really know what the next part of the question was, or where the. Well, I guess this part, part of the question is about politics. Yeah, and. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And introduce yourself, please. Uh, my name is Madeline. I'm a graduate student. Movement, the fact that it is now a movement, not simply a bunch of artifacts. 
mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. disparate, uh, dedicated practitioners. I mean, that means some, those disparate, de dedicated practitioners mean something, and I don't mean to all dismiss it, but they mean something different from large numbers of people doing it, sharing it. And I think that that second thing is the thing that's interesting. Yeah, which is also partially, I think, why people keep going back to bidding in this. I don't think that necessarily that's the most important thread that has led to the, where we are today with it, but it is one of the best sort of attested and one of the ones where we still have access to a lot of the people who were in it and who, who have written about it and talked about it and, and can say, you know, this is what happened when we had slideshows and then in 19, like, I don't know when it came in, but then in, sometime in the early 80s I got my first VCR and that enabled me to do this and they can talk about like how the t you know, and, and the fact that like have it going from Memex machines to Xerox machines enabled them to, you know, there can be a, a real discussion about this group of people who are using every single technology they could. And I'm sure there are other groups that are also doing that that are just not as well attested. Um, but I agree, I think that, that that's the real issue, that, that suddenly you're able to reproduce these, these texts. And I think access to technology is an important point because as technology is easier to, first of all, to, to work, right? So we have VCRs, which make, in the vidding history, um, gives access for women to share those technology skills with each other. Um, so there's community forming around access to technology on one hand, but also now with, when we think of remixing, some people think digital remixing, right? So manipula manipulation of digital footage. Um, that creates more remixes, so does that mean that the quality of the remix is any better than it was when we didn't have that access to technology? And, and that, I don't know, but I think the politics of it lies in that when you have more people creating something with the hope or the intent of making it political, so inserting a, um, a socio-political critique to it, that, that in fact does make it political. Um, I mean, we could go into, you know, is it good or not, um, but I'm not sure that really matters, but the intent is there. The intent to critique culture is there, and I think that's what makes it political. Um, there was a, another thing you brought up, too, before, um, that I'm, I don't remember what it was. Well, it is, I mean, technology changes, the democratization is, right. is another level yeah. of a movement, which is interesting, like instead of saying it's just critiquing too many dicks in Star Trek, you know, that it's, it's more, you know, that there's, it's about a movement, not the specific content, criticizing that content, I think that's, that's an interesting point. But it played devil's advocate a little bit, I mean, is that I agree there's a lot of folks trying to make great videos, a lot of the stuff's really interesting, I wasn't aware of a lot of it. But what about the idea that you measure your value or your impact by how many hits and views you get, mm -hmm. right? And, and some would say, sure, you know, yeah, you're being political, but you're being political like the people who make Colbert Report wanting to get their ratings up, and so that, in fact, while you're criticizing content, you're actually buying into this other side of celebrity culture and blog hits and, and numbers and a kind of popularity quotient uh, that may be the real danger more than the content itself. But if the point is consciousness raising, then that is your, you know, I mean, like if the point is to right. bring up the fact that I, I there are all these... I understand that, that contradiction, but I guess it, all, it still worries me because I, I think it's, I feel it might be too easy a way out. 
right? You say, yeah, of course I want to be as big as possible because that's how I know I'm having impact. Yeah, but and I I'm not Tom Cruise, but I want to, I'm sorry, that's the last thing. Oh, no, I mean, I also think that, I mean, part of the reason for that, the, the reason that Colbert is popular is because it's, it's actually resonating with people. It's appealing to people, and they're looking at, you know, him and John Stewart and saying, you know, this is actually um, an alternative to, to the media that I'm getting, and I think it's the same with remix culture. If it, if it doesn't actually resonate with people, it's not going to get ratings, it's not going to reach people, you know, I, I think that that ultimately is what we're talking about. I think in the context of remix, like the original content would just conform to the dominant ideology. So the politicalness of it, the political end, is not making it conform to a dominant ideology and taking it out of that and um, making something that's subversive. Am I talking in circles? Did, I mean, mm -hmm. No, I mean, I think there's like an important part of how we're defining politics. Mm -hmm. That's, yeah. that's politics, what I guess we're trying, I'm trying to get at, right? Is yeah. politics only action? I think that's a limiting view of politics. Yeah. And you should call it political action. Mm -hmm. But politics being engaged with the civic society, with the sort of public... Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not really sure I'm, I'm thinking about politics Actually, the way I, I wanted to ask a similar question is: Is it important to police, you know, the meaning of these expressions mm. in that kind of way, um, when in effect they're all subject to interpretation? Right. So, what you read, the text that you read, as an American who grew up, you know, yeah. inside, in, 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 immersed in American popular culture is completely different from how I would read it, mm -hmm. you know, as an Nigerian who lives in Europe and mm -hmm. doesn't want to, right. you know, um, most of the time. So, and, 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 and that kind of disposition defeats the very possibility mm -hmm. of creating something that has a universal meaning system. Mm -hmm. Which I think relates also to the issue back of bidding, with people will often talk about how you have to be like, literate in the bidding tradition to understand a bid. Too many dicks on the dance floor is, is not subtle and is very like, this is what my message is. And in some ways I think that's great. But there's other vids that are much more subtle that, that I, th I think have a political content, but like 99% of the people I know would look at it and because they're unfamiliar with like the ways that that, that like tiny, tiny subculture have talked about it, they're just going to look at it and say, wow, there's a lot of pictures of people from you know, from the X-Files on the TV, and they're doing things, and I don't really have any context to put it in, so I can't. They have context to put it in, not right. the same context as the one yeah. in which it was produced. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think context is a really important issue here. I mean, as someone who actually doesn't watch a lot of TV either, a lot of the stuff that gets submitted to politicalremixvideo.com, I, I don't understand where they're coming from because I don't I haven't watched the original source material um, thankfully um, Jonathan is well versed in in the vidding uh, in, in text that vidders tend to vid from um, but you're right when you first watch it you don't really know what the critique is um, so that is a limitation to remixing popular culture yeah you've got to understand at least some of the context to get the political message the, the distinction between political remix videos yeah. and like other kinds of remix sure. videos, um, 
I was thinking that that one issue with this is that, in a sense, all of these things are political in, in as much as they're cultural objects, right. right? And so they're doing politics to a different degree, or they're sort of enacting politics to a different degree. And I sort of um, wonder how, like, why, so one, some of these things don't seem political. Some of them seem mm -hmm. funny, right? And they seem like, what? They seem funny. And oh. Because funny meant they couldn't be political. But there are certain things that you put together, like, the Buffy, like Buffy Edward thing, there are yeah. other videos like that that are like, oh look, now two people are talking to each other. Right. And I didn't do this for a political reason, but it's just funny now. Um, but all of those videos have like certain kinds of politics in them, right? Huh. So yeah. is there between a political video and any other one, just one that's trying to be like overtly political and like to take on a sort of political identity in the same way that we might say a video can take on like a remix identity as opposed to just being the way that people cut videos together? Well, I think what makes it political is the intent to deconstruct social myths or social norms, um, or institutions of race, gender, um, or directly as government policy or foreign policy, as the Jeremiah Wright one did. So I think all of that is political. Like when you critique cultural institutions, I I still think that's cultural because I'm, I'm sorry, I still think that's political, um, even though some people think of it as sociological or cultural, because you're critiquing the things that. Well, so the critique is the important The critique, right? it, yeah. Because well, that's sort of political critique video, because you would say that all these other videos have politics, right? Well, which other videos? Do you mean I would say, like, hypothetical videos. ones on YouTube? Or, or that actually do exist on Even non-hypothetical ones yeah. on YouTube. Right, it's not red state or blue state, but there's something about it, right? It makes you think it is. I mean, that's the thing. We could say it's all political, right? I, I would agree right. with that. You know, even not being political is. is political, right? We could agree with that. <laughs> But I get one of the things that I would concern about is that you you could be political in one way and then reinforce other politics, right? I mean, your two oh, yeah. books was exactly a perfect example of that. Like on the one hand, it's critiquing Star Trek; on the other hand, it's using this completely yeah. disturbing song. If you think about it as, uh, for its politics, so yeah. so that's I guess this is the problem I run into in, in trying. And because I, I you know I write about hip hop and I'm interested in how hip hop can be political. I look at Japan and how they're trying to re make it, and I argue for that all the time, but there's also ways in which it buys into already existing pop culture things, which I also think are bad, but then they're not really worried about that right now. And so I want to say, oh, well, just focus on the good politics, and, and I, I agree there's bad politics, but let's not worry about that right now, and there are artists that can't do everything, and you know, I have a lot of excuses for why I shouldn't worry about that, but deep down, <laughs> I wonder, you know, how much am I lying to myself? Well, just out of curiosity, like what type of pop? Because I'm sure we could find a remix for it. I just didn't show them. No, no, I, oh, exactly. No, I, there's lots of pop. But so, like, so say for example the, the Star Trek example again. Yeah. That I'm watching that and I say, on the one hand, I'm saying, oh yeah, that's ridiculous. There are, they don't have the women's lines worked out more. On the other hand, I'm saying, man, I better get out and see Star Trek, you know, because I haven't seen it yet. Or I better go watch uh, Sex in the City because people are really into it. Right. So on the one hand, you want to use Sex in the City. On the other hand, you want to say, I've got to watch more TV, yeah. you know, and I'll get more commercials while I do that, and I'll get more misogyny in there while yeah. I do that because it's men making the stuff. And so, you know, that's where the, the politics always cut in these yeah. multi-leveled ways, and, and that's where I'm always, I always try to figure out, well, is it okay for me to just pick out the blood politics that, that I like? Brings, but that brings you back to the age-old issue of can you use the master's tools to dismantle the master's house? That quote, right? Yeah, it's all like, we got, though, for now. You know, I mean, but also, like, who says, why is it <laughs> this? Yeah, so let's go through it. Yeah, okay. That's a,
Yeah, sorry. Oh, I was just saying this, but I mean, d does it have to be liberal politics for this to count as? I mean, I'm just saying, like, I, mean, well, exactly. I don't, I don't exactly think right. it does. I mean, I think that there's definitely things Fox I consider political remix videos right, that are. But like, I mean, but 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 really, like, does it have to be liberal and does it have to be dismantling what we see? I mean, like, as the, yeah, in order to be part of this movement, because um, we're making a lot of assumptions. I think Everybody. just about like. I mean, that was, the I think that was huge. 
Right, and now, now you know, now other news networks themselves will feature montage as a form of sort of cultural critique. Mm -hmm. It just gets it out there as a, mm -hmm. as a form. Yeah, I mean, I guess what's tough about that is that it's, I mean, that's looking at a very specific point along the line, right? Like, it's looking at the point at which it sort of hit the big time. And I think that's great. I, I would love to see more work on it. But it's also, you know, it's a, it's a specific point that it was suddenly capable of blowing up. Um, that comment was not as eloquent as I originally thought it was. That's all right. That's what the discussion's about. <laughs> Good. So I want to, because you asked a question that we haven't really talked about, which is change. The question is, does this cause change? It's hard for me to venture and sort of say something inclusive about that. But I just want to throw out another thought, which is that, if, um, that I'm assuming before we talk about whether there can be large scale change, we have to say, is there change in the person who actually views the video? And all I would say is the model of I work in a field where we talk about trying to use video games to change people. Um, the one thing I'm very conscious of is that unless people begin to reprocess and re-verbalize and re-articulate what they've done, we have very scant evidence that they've actually incorporated anything. So I guess I would say, if I were to ask the question, does this cause change, my first question would be, does it cause conversation? Does it cause exchange? Because if I just watch, if I just go to YouTube and watch a bunch of videos and walk away from the computer, I'm willing to bet that it doesn't do much. Even if I'm entertained, and even if I love it, I'm willing to bet that I may just on some level have taken it as an aesthetic experience. But, but the chance that it's going to actually make me change is when I begin to try to reformulate it or recapitulate it or compare notes with somebody or somehow post-process your answer. As a way of sort of furthering your question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. I mean, does it, I guess, maybe, does it help you look at TV or, or movies differently? Maybe to extend it to some of the examples um, that I showed. So, I don't, yeah, I don't know about the discussion or the conversation, but I think part of, well, to add on, I think part of the problem is that YouTube isn't really a public discursive space for, I mean, it, it doesn't, it, it does involve some social networking, but it's not the best place for an open discussion for these things. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's a great, um, a, a great question to ask, in, in addition to does it create change. Any last comments? All right, well, thank you, Elisa. Very stimulating. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.